0: As we continue in our series in Proverbs, what we have come to know is that uh, the book of Proverbs doesn't come across in a churchy or or religious kind of way, uh, but it really is down to earth. It's incredibly uh, easy to relate to, and because of that, we have come to understand that the book of Proverbs is the very place we need to turn when we're struggling, when we're dealing with uh, issues that keep us from following Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Derek Kindner, a a commentary uh, writer, uh, said that the uh, book of Proverbs are intensely practical, distinctly uncomfortable, and immensely profitable. And I hope that you have seen that, that the words that we've looked at in this study have been practical to your life. There are things that you can use on an everyday basis. I hope that the study of Proverbs has made you a bit uncomfortable, that it's caused you to squirm a little bit in your seat because of some of the words that are shared where maybe you say, man, that hits a little closer to home than I would like it to But I hope and pray that amidst that, they have been immensely profitable for you. That you've been able to take what you've learned and and what you've come to understand of, of the Scriptures in the book of Proverbs and been able to apply it to your everyday life. We learned last week that uh, the book of Proverbs is theology in workman's clothes, and I hope you've been able to use this theology, if you will, uh, not only on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, as you interact with people at work, at play, in the home, in your marriage, wherever you find yourself, that the book of Proverbs has truly impacted your life. Well, today, I want to look at something that uh, is... Under the surface in our lives, it's deep within uh, the core of, of who we are. It's something that at times maybe nobody ever knows or uh, can understand that you are thinking such things. I want to focus in on the subject of jealousy and envy this morning. I want to do so from Proverbs chapter 27, verse 4. Proverbs 27 verse 4. I'm going to ask that you stand for this short reading of God's Word. We ask His blessing on our time. And uh, this is what Solomon says. From the hand of Solomon, and I would say from the heart of our God and Father in heaven, this is what he says on the subject uh, of jealousy. Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand against jealousy or before jealousy? Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming, but who can stand before jealousy? Father God, you know that this message was planned weeks ago for this very week for Tim Badal. You know the struggles of jealousy that I have in, in my life. Lord, you know the struggles of envy and jealousy that every person in this place has. Lord, I pray today we would be in agreement with You as Your Spirit points out those areas where we're jealous or, or envious. Oh Lord, this sin has taken down so many. It has caused broken relationships over and over again. And so Lord, as Your people, as Your disciples gather together in Your house today, we say we want to deal with this no more. We don't want to fall to this anymore. But we need your spirit and we need your word. So Lord, impress upon our hearts this morning the truth of your scriptures so that we can walk in light of it. We thank you for it, Lord, and we give you the glory and honor for all that is said and done in Christ's name. Amen and amen. You may be seated. The scripture says, wrath is cruel and anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Once again, Solomon shares a, a mouthful in one of those, you know, those little candy bars you get, if you will, at Halloween, those fun size, snack size candy bars. In a short, little, pithy statement, Solomon utters an absolute mouthful. But we need to understand what he's saying in this verse. What is he addressing? And what he's giving is the picture. Uh, of uh, you taking on an adversary and an enemy, someone who is about to struggle with you in in some sort of conflict or or struggle. And what he is saying is in this picture that he's giving in the short proverb, is you fighting an individual. You don't want to fight someone who's angry, nor do you want to fight someone who's full of wrath. But what Solomon says is, I would rather fight an angry person or a wrath-filled person than someone who's fighting for their husband or wife. That is, I don't want to fight a jealous person. That's the worst kind of fight you can get yourself into. In Proverbs chapter 6, when speaking of uh, men and women uh, pursuing an adulterous relationship, Uh, Solomon says, watch out, because wait till their spouse gets a hold of you. They will be merciless in their destruction in your life. They're not going to stop until your life is completely decimated. That's what a jealous person will do when you get into their way. You see, jealousy is that formidable opponent. That jealousy is that original green monster that is deep within us. And this monster decimates friendships. Just add a little jealousy to, to close friends, and they won't be friends for very long. Bring a young man and a young woman together, and they've been dating for a while, and let one of them uh, have a look at someone else. You know, that, just that little glance at, at someone who may be viewed as a little prettier, or a little funnier, or a little more well put together. And that budding relationship comes to a crashing halt. Uh, This issue of jealousy can impact those who have been married for long periods of time. And jealousy has been the source of many a divorce. Jealousy divides churches. It destroys and dissolves families. Jealousy is something that's running rampant in our society, both within the church and from outside the church. And one of the reasons why it runs so rampant is because jealousy is one of those sins that you can enjoy without moving a limb or saying a word. Right now, some of us are having jealous and envious thoughts, and nobody would be the wiser. And you can just enjoy them. You can sit back and enjoy uh, those feelings and the quietness of your heart being filled with all kinds of jealousy and envy, and nobody knows. But herein lies the problem. The New Testament, in fact, Jesus teaches that when we harbor things in our heart, something tends to happen. That out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what happens is, is you think that you can get away with this, and I think I can get away with this, jealousy and envy, that I'm the only one who will know the jealous and envious thoughts that I'm having. But the problem is, is the human condition, whatever's in here inevitably comes out. And it comes out in word, and it comes out in deed, and as a result, this is something that we need to nip in the bud, because you will see as you watch news, you will see some of the biggest news headlines, is issues of jealousy or envy. The issue of striving after something you don't have, and wanting it, maybe even for the wrong reasons. You see, jealousy is a thing that's been going on for a while. I love watching ESPN, and one of the best parts of ESPN uh, is SportsCenter, where they do the the 10 highlights in the day, and they'll put together in a couple minutes uh, the best athletic plays uh, that have gone on in that day's events of sports. Well, I want you to know jealousy has a highlight reel as well. Jealousy has some amazing plays that it has done. I want you to know jealousy is at the core of some of the biggest sins in all of Scripture. we got to rewind all the way back to the beginning. And we will find out that jealousy was the root of the devil's fall in the perfect place called heaven. You see, the devil looks as Lucifer, one of the chief cherubs. He looks at God, and he sees all that God is a part of, and he says, I want that. And then pride wells up in his heart, and he says, I can get that. It was jealousy that that thrusted a third of the angels out of heaven. Jealousy to be like God and to have what God has as his own. Well, it wouldn't take long for humanity to fall into that jealous streak. Remember in the garden, again, a place of total perfection. Adam and Eve are just enjoying uh, one another and enjoying the garden. And that devil comes. And the devil says, You know what? You can be like God too. And they looked at what God had as the creator and, and commander of all things in this world, both seen and unseen. And they said, I want that. I want to be like him and what God is doing is he's telling me he doesn't want us to be like him and so we can't eat of that fruit on that tree but if we do we can be just like him and jealousy is the sin that plunges humanity into the turmoil that we face today not to move much farther but jealousy is then the third place we see sin in the Scriptures because we've got now the second generation, Cain and Abel, and they're presenting their, their offerings to the Lord and they're setting them before the Lord and Cain has got his fruits and vegetables on one altar and, and Abel has got his lamb, an unblemished lamb, on the other altar. And what happens? God is pleased with Abel's blessing and Abel's sacrifice But he is not pleased because, in in fact, Cain has not given his best. Cain has not done what he was called to do. And what happens? Cain is jealous of God's approval of Abel. And you don't think your jealousy can get the best of you? God even warns Cain, get a hold of this jealousy. Get a hold of this before it ruins your life. Because sin is crouching at your door. And instead of getting jealousy under control... Cain does the unthinkable out in the field when no one else is watching, where he thinks no one else can see. Cain kills his brother over jealousy. Over jealousy. Brothers and sisters, we need to recognize that in the 21st century, nothing has changed. Jealousy is everywhere. And it causes us to do the most insane things because of that green monster within each and every one of us. Now right away, we need to understand what jealousy is because we use words in the English language and we don't fully understand or recognize what they are. And and so when we see someone that has something uh, that we want or or, or someone says, hey, I'm heading down to Disney World this week and our phrase is, well, I'm jealous of you. I want to be there. I want to go with you. Uh, That term isn't exactly right, and so I want to help define for a moment what jealousy really is, and I want to do so by looking at another common friend of jealousy, and that is envy. And so I want you to see, first of all, that when we speak of envy, and I hope I illustrate this well, envy is an open-handed emotion or feeling, okay? You're empty-handed, and what it means is envy is the displeasure we have in not having something we want and seeing someone else already possess it. And so when you say, I'm envious, what you're saying is, you've got something I want because I don't have it, and I'm yearning for it. I want to pursue that, I want to have that as my own, where jealousy, flip the screen for me, is a closed-handed feeling. And it's the displeasure we have when someone is trying to take something that we already possess in our hand, and we're unwilling to give it up. And so we need to recognize that that's how uh, the Greek language and the biblical language uses envy and jealousy. Envy, I want something, and you've got it. Jealousy, I have something, and I don't want you to have it, so I'm going to keep it for myself. Now when we speak on the subject of jealousy this morning, we need to do so under a biblical understanding. And the Bible uses jealousy and envy as two kind of sides of the same coin. When speaking of jealousy and envy in James 3.14, the NIV translators of their Bible understood that they had to get this two-sided coin down. And they said, so rid yourselves, if you will, in James 3.14, of the bitter envy that is within you. The bitter envy. And what they're trying to do, because it's hard to say get rid of the jealous envy, that this bitter envy is this two-sided definition of jealousy and envy combined. And so as we look to the Scriptures, we need to understand that this issue is results in the things we don't have, and it also involves the things that we do have. Now, when we speak of jealousy, right away, we need to understand that jealousy in the Scriptures almost always is a condemnable thing, meaning it's a sin. It's described as something we shouldn't be a part of. But I also want to remind you that jealousy is something that is commendable as well. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that our God is a jealous God. You see, God knows he's the best. God knows that there are none like him. God knows that he is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of all things. God knows he is preeminent over all such things. He is holy. He is set apart. And God says, I'm jealous of that. Nobody's going to get that from me. Humanly speaking, that same righteous jealousy comes within the right of a husband and wife who is jealous if someone tries to work in and break up a marriage to get one of the spouses. That is a legitimate jealousy. It would be something wrong with me if I thought it was okay that a man flirt with my wife. No, I should be jealous. God has built that within me. That is mine. Nobody can have that. I hope you understand what I'm meaning by that. And so we need to understand that what we're not talking about this morning is that idea of jealousy. As commendable as it is, we're going to address the condemnable side of jealousy. And so I want to do so this morning looking at three things. I want to look at the characteristics of jealousy. That is, what does it look like so we can identify it. Then I want to look at the consequences of jealousy That is what happens to a person who allows entrance into their lives, this insidious disease. And finally, I want to look at the cure. What is the antidote for the believer when it comes to this malady? So let's look at the first one. What are the characteristics of jealousy? What is it that makes jealousy look like jealousy? Notice it begins with a coveting heart. It begins with a coveting heart. This is where the envy comes in. I want something, and you have it, or I want to keep from you what I have in my hands. There's no better way to exegete this part of the sermon than for us to go on a field trip this morning. We'll go down the hallway, and we'll take a left to our nursery area, and we will give one of the kids in the nursery a brand new truck or a brand new doll. And watch what happens when we give one child one thing and we don't give any of the other children anything, right? What will inevitably happen is there will be a lot of crying. There may be some swings of punches. And we recognize that even at a young age, not because we've learned it, but because it's within us. We are a selfish people that jealousy starts out really, really young. And here's the problem. Though we move out of the nursery, our jealousy never does. It's always there with us. And we just are jealous over bigger trucks and bigger dollies and and, 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 and bigger issues. But they're no different, it's all child's play, it's all the same stuff that we're dealing with. Babies show us envy and jealousy James writes this in James 4, 1 and 2. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? And what he says is, you see that you don't have something, and so you'll do whatever it takes to get it. The book of Exodus reminds us that there is much to covet about. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, Moses tells the children of Israel, don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's spouse. Don't covet your neighbor's uh, handmaidens and and uh, maid servants and manservants. Don't do that. Don't don't covet their donkeys. Don't don't covet anything else. In modern day language, the house still works. The spouse still works with maid servants and manservants. Don't 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 covet. Don't be envious of your. Of Your neighbors build business operations How about their donkey. You know, I don 't know many people who have donkeys. modern day speaking, don't, don't covet after their mode of transportation. And then if God wasn't thinking that that was enough, God says, we don't covet anything. because God understands, as Luther told us, that the, the human heart is a factory of idols. And coveting is making an idol out of something that I have to have that. If I don't have it, I'm going to die. And because you have it, it burns in me a fury of envy and jealousy. So what it means is we cannot covet and be jealous over anything that God says we shouldn't be jealous over. Notice what happens when this takes place. When we're coveting, you will notice that you will not be able to celebrate with those who succeed. You'll not be able to celebrate with those who succeed. You know you struggle with the sin of jealousy and envy when you find yourself struggling to be happy when others have a victory. When something happens to another person around you, I want you to turn in your Bibles for a moment to the book of Luke, to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15. If you're you're using the Pew Bible, uh, Luke 15 can be found on page uh, 875. 875. You say, well, come on, who can't celebrate with somebody when they win? Aren't we always happy when someone close to us wins or, or receives something? Well, no. And the best example of it is found in the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal, remember, uh, living as if his dad has already died, and though he's living, says to his father, give me your inheritance. I want to go live on my own, and he leaves the home, and he goes and lives a reckless and sinful life, and and is doing great until the money dries up, and famine enters the land, and and he finds himself in a pigsty, uh, trying to fight over their food, and and he remembers, I, I, don't, I don't have to eat this way. At my father's house, even as a servant, I can eat and live better than I'm living now. So I will go back and I will right this wrong and, and I'll be received unto my father if he'll take me back. That's what I'm going to do. And he goes back. And we know the story that the father sees the son coming from far away. And he runs to the son, and he embraces the son, and he announces to all of the household, kill the fattened calf, get the, the best shoes and the best robe, and get the ring from my dresser. Let's put it on his finger. That which was lost is now found. And everybody celebrates. This is wonderful. That which was lost has now been found except for one. One. Remember the story? The older brother. Let's pick it up in verse 25. Now his older brother was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what these things meant? And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. You would think, all right. Junior's back. This is exciting. Dad's throwing a party. My friends are in there. I'm going to go have a good time. They would think that's the natural response. But notice the text says, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command and yet you've never given me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes... Who has devoured your property with prostitutes? You killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for it is your brother who was dead and now is alive. He was lost and now is found. Do you struggle? Do you find yourself like the older brother in that story? in moments that you should be celebrating, you should be rejoicing, you should be excited for another, you only are filled with anger? You refuse to join in with them in that celebration? Do you struggle when someone buys a new car, when someone comes into an inheritance, when someone receives an award or a celebration? Is your struggle there? Look out, jealousy isn't far away. In fact, it's more close, closer than you think. What does it do? Notice it will create uh, cruelty towards others. You see, for a while we can contain our jealousy that when someone gets something that we want, we won't celebrate with them, but we'll go even farther and we'll be cruel towards them. This last week, my uh, middle son Joshua uh, has a phone and... uh, uh, not a phone as you would think. He's too young for that. He'll be 25 before he has a cell phone. But, but I gave him one of my old phones and we put some music on it. And that's Joshua's thing. He, he likes listening to some music and that. Well, his younger brother likes listening to music too. And younger brother, six years old, Luke, Luke decided to take Josh's phone and wanted to share with the neighbor kids some of the music that Josh had on his phone. Well, Josh is unwise to what's going on, and he's unaware of of what's taking place. And he goes over to the neighbor's kid's house, and he sees that Luke is now showcasing the music on the phone, to which the neighbor's mom, the neighbor kid's mom says, a brawl begins, to which Joshua utters the words while grabbing his feet, I will break your toes if you don't give me my phone back. That's jealousy. That's that displeasure that we have when someone is trying to take that which is ours. It's a dumb phone. And my son is willing to break the limbs of my other son over that phone. Now here's the thing. You can take that illustration one of two ways. One, you can see the absolute chaos that it all family lives in. <laughs> or you can see how dumb you and I look when we're given over to jealousy. And I hope you take the latter for Amanda's sake, the second one, not the first one. Because jealousy will cause us to do all kinds of things, utter threats against one another. You ask where that takes place, and I need to move here quickly The passion within the human soul of jealousy causes us to do incredibly evil things. Genesis 37. Joseph is one of 12 brothers. Joseph's dad gives him a coat of many colors. He affirms his love uh, for Joseph over that of the other brothers. And the older brothers get angry. And it says that there's a two-step process to the anger. Number one. They do not speak well of him. That's where it starts. Just start speaking bad of the guy that you're jealous of. Number two, when he's far away and they say, here comes the, the loved one, the favored one. Let's get rid of him. What's the answer? We'll kill him. You don't think jealousy will lead you to things? It will lead you to all kinds of murderous thoughts. Well, they think better of that? Say, you know what, let's not kill them. We don't need the guilt on our, on our, uh, on our hearts uh, for that. Let's just sell him into slavery. And that's exactly what they do. And they give a lie to their father that he was killed. And they move on. Genesis 37, a great picture of cruelty that jealousy brings. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel's working up the corporate ladder in Babylon. The king is loving what he's seeing in young Hebrew Daniel. And Daniel's being elevated over and over again, promotion after promotion. And what do the satraps, the other leaders around Daniel say in Daniel chapter six? We got to get rid of this guy. This guy's getting all the all the all the props, and we're getting nothing, so we got to get rid of him. And then they look at his life and say, Well, there's nothing to do, nothing to, to get him in trouble with. Oh, yes, there is. There's one thing. Let's connect him with his God, and we'll get him in trouble. And of course, you know they catch him praying after an edict's been given. And they throw him into a lion's den. They're allowing an innocent man to be put to death because of it. We know the story tells us that he's not put to death. In fact, God stops the lions from devouring him. And he's brought out and a great revival takes place. And those guys lose their lives, but that's not in the children's Bible, so let's move on. But notice finally, the very thing that put our Lord and Savior to death, was jealousy of the Pharisees. He was getting all of the props. He was getting all of the people. Their crowds were, his crowds were bigger than any other crowds. They needed to do something and they hung an innocent man on a cross all out of jealousy. You don't think that jealousy and envy can get the best of you? It did all these other people and it can you as well. Notice one final thing. Jealousy causes us to be critical of God's sovereignty. Now, as we bring in, if you will, the theology of it, I want you to understand, and I know if I was to ask you to write down on a piece of paper who you're jealous of, it would be easy to come up with it, because all of us have this level of jealousy at some level or another, and I want you to recognize today that your jealousy isn't an issue that you have with someone else here on earth. It isn't that girl that, that, that wears all the great clothes. It isn't that guy that seems to have all the personality and charisma. It isn't that person that got the promotion. Your issue of jealousy has nothing to do with them, and it has everything to do with God. Because if we, as followers of Jesus Christ and followers of our God in heaven, recognize that God is completely sovereign over all things that God has created you, God has made you who you are, that according to the book of Acts, that God has placed you in the place that you're at, living in the area that you're living in, that God is the giver of all good things, that whatever you have is from the hand of God, then your issue of jealousy isn't with the person sitting across from you in the pew. Your issue is with God. And what you're saying when you are jealous isn't, I'm mad at them. What you're saying, you're just not gutsy enough to say it, and I'm not gutsy enough to say it, is, God, we've got a problem. You haven't given me what I want. You didn't make me the way I wanted to be made. I want to look like Brad Pitt, and you didn't do it, so I'm angry with Brad Pitt. I'm just using it as a joke here. Brad Pitt, I'm mad at him that he's got all the good looks, and you've given me this mug. Why did you do that, God? Why did you give me a face for radio and not television? You messed up, God. You blew it. God, why does my neighbor have a bigger house than I do? He doesn't even go to church. God, what's your problem? God, didn't you get the memo that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be healthy, wealthy, and wise? Didn't you get that, God? I want you to recognize, and this is probably the most important part of the message, your jealousy is an affront to God, not because he's mad you're mad at someone else. It's because you are pointing at him and saying, you blew it. You missed it, God, and I know what's better. Let me tell you, God responds to this in Romans chapter 9. In Romans chapter 9, verse 20 and 21, through the lips of Paul, God says, who do you think you are, old lump of clay, to tell the potter how to make things? I'm the the potter. Tim, you're the clay. I will make you how I will make you, and you better shut your mouth and do what you're supposed to do and stop being jealous of all the other clay pottery in the room. Because I've built you and I've created you for that purpose. I've put you in the house that you're in, driving the cars that you're driving, living the life that you're living for a reason, and it could be for good reasons, it could be for bad reasons, that's in the mind of a a knowable God in many ways as to why He's done what He's done. But I will tell you, He does all things well. And so we need to recognize our jealousy is an issue with God, not someone else. Notice quickly the consequences. The consequences. What happens when we pursue this issue of jealousy? What happens? Now you say right away, well, Tim, this is the great thing about jealousy. I can do it in within myself and nobody will ever know. Nobody ever needs to know that. And I've already told you this morning, that jealousy will impact more than you know. It won't just stay here. But let's say it does. Let's say that you can keep your jealousy under wraps and not allow it to boil over. Let's start with the first consequence that involves you. Notice, first of all, that the book of Proverbs says that jealousy destroys the body. It destroys the body. In in Proverbs 14.30, In Proverbs 14.30, Solomon says this wonderful medical advice for us. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy, or jealousy, makes the bones rot. In another translation, it says that jealousy is cancer to the bones. In another translation... It corrodes away your life like rust. You see, jealousy is that little thing that starts out real small, maybe even it begins even benign, that little tumor. It has a little malignancy in it, so it grows ever so slowly, little by little, day after day, it gets bigger, and it's growing. Before you know it, it starts affecting other organs in your body, and then before you know it, it's consumed all of who you are, and some of us are so utterly consumed by the lives and good fortunes of others, and as a result, it's affected our health, it affects our joy, it robs us of happiness, it steals our contentment, and we miss out on God's blessing. It rots the organs. I'll leave it there. That's not pretty, okay? Let's not go there as God's people. Number two, it causes causes us to deepen our suspicion of others. It goes like this. That girl in your class has got the new good-looking boyfriend. Well, right away we think she must be easy. Because that's the only way a kind of girl would get that kind of guy. Or that guy on the other side of the office gets the promotion and you say, you know, what What shady deal did he do to get the job done? Or your neighbors or friends bought a new house or a new car and, and right away you're driving away from that beautiful new home that they have and you tell your wife, well, they must obviously not be given to the Lord. They must be doing something to their taxes because I know what he makes. And he can't afford a house like that, or you know what, I bet you they're upside down on that mortgage. Instead of celebrating, we try to find devious reasons for people's good fortune. We assume the worst instead of believing the best. Where does this happen in the Scriptures? The book of First Kings tells us that when Saul was the leader of Israel, there was a parade being held, and, and the chant of the day was, Saul kills thousands. That sounds great. But then the second float came, and it was the David float. And in the parade after the the float that went by for Saul, Saul kills thousands. And then the the second one was the David float, and it's David kills the tens of thousands. Oh, boy. From that moment on, Saul would be on an all-out pursuit of jealousy because there was a guy who got some more press than he did. Can I tell you that David was one of the greatest assets in the Saul, in king in the kingdom of Saul at that time? Do you know that what Saul could have said right away is, yes, "You're right, my great general, my great soldier, David." does kill 10,000 for his nation, for his God. Let's get together, and I'll be the first one to shake the pom-poms. Isn't that great? Any good press about Israel and victories should be a good press about a king, right? If a country's doing well, the king is gonna get props. But he takes and he hunts down his greatest asset, and in fact, he'll lose his life in the process of the jealousy that he has because he goes and fights an inadvertent war to try to get press for himself. And he would lose his life, his son would lose his life, and David would be given his throne. Jealousy causes us to be suspicious. Notice it develops a critical spirit. You have an issue of jealousy. You struggle with envy. I want you to understand, instead of being at peace with what God is doing in your life, You are in the corner pouting and complaining because someone else has gotten something that you want. This is unbecoming for the child of God. In 1 Corinthians 13, we, we are told that love hopes for all things, not as critical of all things. And therefore, we are called to love our rivals and our enemies, and yet you can't even love your friend because your jealous spirit has gotten a hold of you and you can't be happy for them. You've got to be critical and you've got to come up with reasons why they can't have what you want. And here's the thing, you'll never be able to share the gospel of grace to someone you're vying to have something from. You'll never be able to do that you 'll never be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ if you 're fighting them over something they have, whether in the heart or in the physical realm. Notice finally the consequence was that it will diminish your appetite for god 's word first Peter two one through three says like newborn babies, we need to crave spiritual milk. We need to taste and see that the Lord is good that 's what he says in that passage, but it says in order to do that for in order in order for us to Taste and see that the Lord is good for us to crave pure spiritual milk. The Bible says in that same text, rid yourselves of all malice, envy, and strife. And so you and I can't study God's word. We can't pray right prayers if we are filled with envy. And here's why. You will never pursue the things of God. You will never taste and see that the Lord is good if you're too busy wetting your appetite on the things that someone else has. Does that make sense? If I want the things of God, and I make that my purpose in life, that I want to taste and see that the Lord is good, then I'm focused in on the things of God. I'm not worried what everybody else has. And far too many of us turn away from the good things of God And we turn to what everybody else has, and we can't do both of those things at the same time. And so either you're going to devote yourself to the Word of God and to a relationship with Christ and and being content in Him, or you're going to be pursuing the things that the world has or your neighbor has or your friend has. So we've got to rid ourselves of it. So how do we do that? How do we rid ourselves of this? Notice the cure, and we'll close with this. In order for us to rid ourselves of all kinds of envy and jealousy, I want to give very five real short things, and you can do some study with it later. But there are five things that must be a part of our life that through them we'll be able to position ourselves in a way that we'll sit under the lordship of Christ and serve him for our own good and for his glory. So what are they? Number one, you need to renounce your jealousy as sin. Renouncing your jealousy as sin Are you man enough? Are you woman enough? Am I man enough to say this morning, my envy and my jealousy that's deep within me is a vile sin before God? That it's one of those sins that Jesus went to the cross to pay for? Am I willing to say that maybe nobody else knows it? That insidious issue, disease that's rotting my bones is an affront to God that he wants to heal and cleanse us of all unrighteousness from? Are you willing to repent of that and say no more? Today is the day that that jealous streak, today is the day when that green monster is defeated in my life once and for all? It begins by renouncing that that as a sin in your life. Number two, it involves reflecting the attitude of Jesus Christ. We read this scripture this morning, so I won't have us turn there once again. But our attitude should be that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Being found in the appearance of a man, humbled himself even to death on a cross. Theologically speaking, listen, Jesus had every right to be jealous of his position as the second person of the Trinity. He had that in his hands, and he said, nobody's going to take that away from me. But then God the Father said to him, humanity's going to hell in a handbasket, and we are going to need to do something. And before the foundations of the earth, the Son agreed, in, in correspondence with that of the Trinity... I will go and I will be the person of the Godhead who takes all my prerogatives and sets them aside and makes myself a man. God could have been, Jesus could have been jealous of that. But Jesus said, For the sake of others, I will open my hand so that others may receive. You see, you and I, when we are jealous, We promote self. It's about us. When we humble ourselves as Christ did, it becomes about others and not about ourselves. It's not about our positions. It's not about our desires. It's not about our prerogatives or our preferences. It is about others. And that's why Paul says in that same passage, do nothing out of vain conceit or rivalry It's not about you. It's about others. Serve others. Humble yourself so that others may be lifted up. Look to their interests and not to your own. That's going to lead you to something. That when you reflect the attitude of Christ and you start serving people instead of selfishly desiring things that they have, it's going to cause you to remember your rivals in prayer. Matthew 5.44 says that we are to love our enemies and pray for them. And so when you see someone has something that you want... Instead of letting that sin get the best of you, stop and pray. Lord, thank you for that blessing in their life. Lord, I pray that that won't become an issue for them uh, in the days to come, that 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 will really be a blessing to them. That new house, that new car, Lord, that new promotion, Lord. uh, Keep them humble, Lord. Now, here's the thing i got to be careful of. What I don't mean are imprecatory prayers. If you don't know what imprecatory prayers are, that's, Lord, bring fire down from heaven and consume thou enemies of God. When I talk about prayers, I'm talking about the good ones, okay? The nice ones. The ones you want prayed for yourself. And some of us need to be praying for some co-workers and and some neighbors and, and, and some brothers and sisters that maybe life's going a whole lot easier for them. And we need to be praying, Lord, I pray that that stays the same. How do you do that? You reacquaint yourself with God's blessing. When you are jealous or envious, the only thing you see is other people's stuff, other people's things. And what we need to recognize when jealousy comes is you need to put the DVD in the the DVD player and replay the highlights of God's mercy that is new every morning for each and every one of us. God, you've been so good to me. You've been so good to my family. Why would I be jealous over someone else? God, you have been so gracious to me. And this is the crazy thing. This is how crazy a believer who's jealous of an unbeliever. They may have everything in this world that will burn on the day of judgment. But you have salvation. You've got an eternity in glory. What, 70 years in poverty when you've got a mansion in glory? And we need to recognize what God has done in our lives. And rewind that over and over and over again as an antidote to jealousy. To do that, we must rekindle God's love in our heart. The final cure is rekindling God's love in our heart. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love does not envy. And we're called to love God. And we're called to love others as a church church. We will never be able to be a church that loves Jesus to the point of transformation if we're envious. We will not be able to be a church that loves one another to the point of sacrifice if we're jealous over what each other has. We will not be able to love our neighbors to the point of action if we're too busy looking at the stuff in their garage instead of the heart that needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jealousy is the ball game. And it will keep every Christian from fulfilling their mission. It will keep this church. Listen, if we're so worried about what every other church is doing and the numbers they're bringing in and the big buildings that they're building, churches can be jealous as well, right? And if we're jealous of what others are doing, then we'll never do what God has called us to be a part of. Thanks be to God that we have a Savior who fulfilled His vision and mission who wasn't jealous enough to stay in heaven on his thrones, but came so that he might die for you and I and for the jealousy that we have. That cross behind me reminds us and symbolizes the cross that pays for the sin of jealousy and envy in our lives and all of the penalty that's incurred as a result. So, as we leave this place, let us live in the power of the cross and by the power of the Spirit to rid ourselves of all envy and malice and jealousy by the grace of God and for the glory of God. And let's do so in a biblical way that will honor him. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and Lord, I pray that we would do work in our hearts this morning, that even as we leave this place and get into our cars, as we interact with others on this Lord's Day, that we would deal with this issue. You've called us to it. You've convicted us of it this morning by your word. It's good for us because it rots our bones. And Lord, we know that that's not what you want in our lives. It causes us to be cruel towards others. Lord, we we don't want that. It keeps us, Lord, from seeing you for the gracious and glorious God that you are by calling into account that you have missed the boat in your job. All of these are unbecoming as believers. And so, Lord rid us of this insidious disease so that we may honor you in all that we do. Send us forth from this place in the peace of the Lord and the fellowship of our brothers and sisters in Christ that we may honor you in all that we say and do. In Christ's name we pray, amen.